0: The following is a message by Dr. Howell Jones from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. We gladly bow in thy presence, O Lord our God, and acknowledge thy Son to be Lord of all, to whom thou hast given all authority in heaven and earth, seeing as he performed thy will to its fullest extent, even in offering up himself on the cross as a sacrifice for sin. We thank thee that that work is not only past, but also that its effects are ongoing and cannot be reversed. And we thank thee that today we not only know what it is to continue in fellowship with thee through his being once and for all forsaken by thee, but we look forward to that day when all will be consummated for which... He poured out his soul, and we will be, as well as all who trust in him, forever with him and thee, in fellowship through the Holy Spirit. Hear us then, receive our thanks, grant thy blessing with thy word. Use the testimony of this seminary for thy glory, and remember all in need, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Seated, please. Turn to Isaiah chapter 53, the final stanza of this poem, namely verses 10, 11, and 12. Let us hear the word of God. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, Make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. May God bless to us his word. Uh, This closing stanza is the longest of all five and the the fullest of them all. Uh, Several of the themes that it presents, the truths that it presents, and the terms, the words in which it presents them, uh, are already found in the preceding verses. And in particular, uh, this stanza echoes the first with its emphasis on suffering and triumph. Now, there's far too much in these verses for us to even try and comment superficially on each verse. I'm not going to even attempt to do that. So there's a sense in which we are not going to complete what we've begun. I feared this would happen before we started, but foolishly went on. Let me, however, indicate to you that in connection with each of these verses, verse 10 refers to the Lord's purpose. Verse 11 focuses on the servant's worth, dignity, and then finally the benefit that accrues to his people as a result of his suffering in accord with the Lord's purpose. I want to focus for a few moments on verse 10. Theoretically it's manageable, Practically it won't be, but theoretically it is, because it begins and ends with a reference to the pleasure of the Lord. I'm using the King James Version for a a reason I'll mention in a moment. Verse 10 begins, it was the pleasure of the Lord, the will of the Lord, to crush him. And it concludes, the will of the Lord, or the pleasure of the Lord, shall prosper in his hand and that theme of the Lord's pleasure, the Lord's will is a general line of approach to all these verses as well of course to the whole poem and to the whole scheme of redemption and the self-revelation of God triune in the whole of the Bible, the good pleasure of his will. Well, first of all, then, it pleased the Lord to crush him. I can never look at this verse without remembering a sermon that I heard on this verse over 50 years ago. I can remember nothing of the sermon, but these words burned their way into my mind and conscience, and hopefully into my heart as well, because up until that moment, it was a Good Friday service, I could take you to the chapel, I could take you to the pew. Up until that moment, that someone asked me, who made Jesus suffer? My answer would have been, it was the Jews and the Gentiles and me. And on this Good Friday evening, this preacher announced his text. I don't think I heard anything after it. It pleased the Lord to crush him. Now that may be old hat to you, but I hope it never, ever will be. It's the most astounding fact in the whole of the universe that it pleased the Lord to crush, to bruise, to inflict his wrath and not merely to afflict his servant outwardly and physically. That's why I want to retain this word pleasure. Not to set up An antithesis between it and will or purpose the primary meaning of the Hebrew verb is to take pleasure to delight but in order to underline this fact that somehow we can easily forget that Jehovah's will was more than a decision on his part more than a decree on his part. His will was something that he was willing to put into effect, even to put into effect by afflicting his righteous servant. Now, when we use the word please in connection with a request that we make, we understand that we are entirely dependent upon the goodwill of the person whom we ask as to whether that request will be granted or not. It depends entirely on them. We understand we may be refused. And it's even more true with regard to the Lord's pleasure because had he not been willing Had he not been pleased in that sense to crush his son, there is nothing any single person can do to force him to do so. Even to persuade him to do so.
1: Nothing that we
0: can attempt or present to coerce him into doing it. It is entirely his good pleasure. And here then we are in the hands of God, who if he is not the Lord Jehovah, means that there is no hope of any salvation for any sinner. But it pleased him. It pleased him to do so. And his servant was willing to suffer as much as the Lord was willing to afflict him. There's no competition, there's no discord in the Holy Trinity with regard to the framing of the whole scheme of salvation and to its being carried out He wasn't acting contrary to his wisdom. He was acting in wisdom. And he wasn't denying his justice when he acted in grace. It pleased the Lord to crush him. And we have an explanation of that that indemnifies God if he needs to be exculpated. And explains the necessity of that suffering. When he makes his soul, and note that word, soul, life. It's in each of these three verses. Connects them all together. When he, that is the servant, makes his soul a guilt offering. That's the explanation. What was a guilt offering related to? When anyone offended against any of the holy things of the Lord and also against neighbor by way of fraud or by way of theft, when love to God and love to neighbor were infringed, it was not merely a sacrifice, a life that was forfeit, but reparation, compensation had to be added to it. That's the guilt offering. And so it requires a life. A soul. Poured out in death that bears the penalty and pays the debt. And that is what Jesus did on the cross. By his perfect obedience, he loved God and he loved neighbor. And there is your debt and mine paid and discharged. And he poured out his life bearing the penalty of all those infringements. And there's our punishment born. And in order that that might become ours each of his people, sinners for whom Christ died, the Father was pleased to smite the Son, his righteous servant, so that our debt might be cancelled, we might be freed from the penalty, that he might be just and yet in and through the righteousness of the servant, acquit and account and regard and declare in the court of heaven many to be made righteous. It wasn't just you and me that caused the cross. There's a better way of putting that. Nor was it just you and Greek. It was God the Father in his wisdom. God the Son in his willing submission in eternity before he came and then on earth and in time and in flesh. Delighting to do the will of God from his heart. Doing it to the uttermost of the law's demands. Drinking the cup of God's wrath to the dregs. Bringing his human nature to that gibbet on Calvary, making it an altar by offering his life in death as a payment for sin and as a way of being delivered from its curse. The Father was active at Golgotha. It was an unseen hand that crushed him. He did it for you and me and for a multitude of sinners from all over the earth. It pleased the Lord. But not only to crush him. It pleased the Lord to crown him. See how the verse ends. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. The pleasure of the Lord was not coextensive with the crushing of the sun, it was larger. It was bigger. There was more in it. It was not merely that he should be that atoning sacrifice but that he should be the one who would execute all the rest of his father's saving will. Those hands that were pierced are the hands in which the saving will of the Lord has been now placed. The seals are open. The lamb has been slain. He isn't only a sufferer because of the Lord's will. He's the executor of the Lord's will because he poured out his soul to death. And so It pleased the Lord to crown him as thou hast given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. That's what he's doing. He shall see his seed. Genesis 3.15. Promise to Abraham. Here is the church being gathered to him from every kindred, tribe, and nation. Through the preaching of the gospel and the working of the Holy Spirit with the word, he sees his see- He sees you and me who trust him. He regards us like that. We are his. We're his sheep. The Father gave us to him. He received us each one from the Father and tasted death for each and every one of us. And now what he's doing is calling us to himself and many more yet to be called. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong days. This is remarkable. Everywhere else in the Old Testament, that refers to long life on earth. Yes, as a type of eternal life. But this length of days follows on the mention of his death. He poured out his soul unto death He shall prolong his days. It's the resurrection, isn't it? He has the power of an endless life. He ever lives to save to the uttermost those who come to God by him. He ever lives to make intercession for them. The pleasure of the Lord is in his hands. His will is being done. His will will achieve its great and glorious end. Let us give thanks to God. We bless thee, O God, that thy Son was forsaken by thee so that we might never be forsaken by thee. Smitten and cursed. That we might be received and blessed. Help us, we pray, to trace every, every blessing, every kind of gracious aid, first to the cross, and then to Thine infinite wisdom and grace and enable us to live to thy glory. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all forever and ever.